The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many voices are more powerful than one. When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Dietta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Dietta and Richard. Welcome to DJ and Dub Air. I'm Dietta Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership coach, individual and organizational effectiveness speaker and author. And I am typically, but not today, joined by my better three-quarters NFL legend and pro football Hall of Famer, Richard Dent. Richard is uh, off saving the world, doing something pretty heroic somewhere or another, I'm sure. But um, I'm thrilled because today I get all to myself, Taylor Parker, who is our very special uh, guest and is joining us from Crossroads Elementary School in California. And... Uh, Taylor, we, we are going to have a really wonderful uh, segment today, and the focus of our session, the focus of our episode is introducing social justice in a school setting. And the reason that we are focusing on this topic is because uh, people have been really interested, including myself, on figuring out ways to uh, do social justice work. So I've mm-hmm. had a, a number of uh, uh, episodes uh, of this show focused on the topic of social justice over the last month or so. Obviously, social justice issues have been something that is kind of the fabric of our country. We've been wrestling with mm-hmm. this topic for a long time. We've had a lot going on in the news over the last uh, year. Um, but really, practically speaking, a lot of people want to know, what do we do in a way that's going to have an impact at our community level, at our family level, with our children and our parenting? Um, and the school system is the obvious place to to focus some attention and see where there's opportunity to uh, to explore while children are still developmentally open and exploratory when uh, the, the teachers need all the support that they can get from community members. And when we're really trying to also uh, prepare uh, parents to be supportive and to be able to have conversations with their children that... Uh, are really kind of nurturing a larger social justice uh, framework and set of shared values that we all aspire towards. So this is a really wonderful episode because hopefully it will give us some practical ideas of things that we can do um, at our local levels and in our school systems. We're not trying to take over all the school systems in the U.S., but we definitely want to find a way to, to help shape the experience and the conversation in ways that are enriching. And Taylor, let me introduce you for our listeners Taylor Parker is a first grade teacher at Crossroads School for the Arts and Sciences in Santa Monica, California, dedicated to learning through play. Taylor, or Tay-Tay, as her kids call her, is a gregarious teacher who believes that the practical study of kindness is fundamentally the most important piece of a school's curriculum. Hear, hear, Taylor, I love that. 
<laughs> a founding member of Crossroads JIAD, Justice, Action, Identity, and Diversity Committee, Taylor's lifelong goal is to create and implement lessons that encourage young people to begin to think about who they are, what their place in the world is, and what they can do to make change. Taylor began her career studying theater and improv- improvisational comedy, two crafts undoubtedly used every day while working with imaginative and dramatic six-year-olds. Taylor was first introduced to anti-bias curriculum while earning her bachelor's in liberal, liberal studies at Antioch University in Los Angeles, a Santa Monica native. Taylor feels blessed to continue living and teaching in her hometown. Welcome, Taylor. Thank you. What an awesome introduction. That's, it's very cool to, to you know, get a sense of what it is that brought you to the work that you do today. I have to say, I have a first grader. I have a gregarious. Mm. Oh, yay. It's a great age. Awesome. Oh my goodness, every day is an adventure. <laughs> yes, totally. I can't imagine oh. having a classroom full of them, but I understand having one. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I always tell the parents though, the classroom of 26 is different than your one-on-one because they, you know, they have their student hats on and they see us as teachers. They're, I'm sure, much easier on us than they are with their own parents. So it's really not that hard. <laughs> Oh, she says, she says, I have to say, though, you're, I, I believe you, because when I go in and see my son in his classroom environment and I see yeah. the, the teachers able to navigate and kind of mm-hmm. facilitate a group of 20, 26 kids, it amazes me. They listen, they're orderly, that, you know, oh, things yeah. are done predictably at home. It's mm-hmm. chaos. I feel like I oh, need yeah. to go sit in a yeah. little bit more often. <laughs> well, because they know that, well, he knows or she knows that you have a little boy or a little girl, a little um, boy, yeah. you know. That they've got your unconditional love, where you know they can treat you however they want, and you'll still come back for more. So, so oh, that's I think the secret. Comes you know, we're we're sort of a question mark. It's like, how much can I push this person, and they'll still love me? But you know, your mama, you're always going to love. So they can push the waters a little more. I think with parents, you, you just unlock the secret door for me. Okay, got <laughs> it. Well, I guess I have to just take it. There's no way I can love yeah. them less. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. Cool. So Taylor, so Taylor, we just uh, our last episode, uh, the June first episode, was with your colleague Joy Watt, who mm-hmm. is also an educator at Crossroads Elementary, and we had a really wonderful conversation. It wasn't uh, specifically about the the work that you've been doing at the school, but it definitely was about the the journey associated with. Um, understanding one's own identity, figuring out what, what what voice I want to bring to this topic of diversity and inclusion and social justice, and then finding ways to have an impact on whatever environment we exist in, whether it's at the community level or at a school level or as a parent. And now here we are having this wonderful conversation with you um, because you've done some amazing things at Crossroad. You and I know a, a number of other committed um, administrators and teachers have brought to life a social justice program that sounds really amazing and that I have to tell you has has fueled my passion for working with my son's school. And mm-hmm. that's something that I've that I've really started doing um, uh, because of the you, the model that you've set for me. So tell us, you know, just before we dive into the work that you've yeah. done at the school, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what brought you to a place where you see yourself as a social justice educator and advocate. Yeah, um, I I really think it began for me when I was little. You know, I grew up like I said, it, or you mentioned that I grew up in Santa Monica, and growing up in the '80s and '90s in Santa Monica, it was I would say predominantly white. Um, I'm mixed; I'm half black, half white. And I think my mom, who is white, really took it on as a 
I think she really felt strongly that it was important that I be as aware as possible of my community, um, what was fair and not fair, any injustices we would see. So even as a little kid, I remember driving around town, whether it was here on the west side of L.A. or east side, south side, north side, and my mom would ask me, you know, how many trees do you notice? Do you see more trees here or more trees there? You know, she would point out billboards that advertised cigarettes and liquor and beer, and she would note that certain neighborhoods didn't have the same billboards or certain neighborhoods had pawn shops and other neighborhoods didn't. So she she is very political, my mom herself, and I think having that as a role model and, you know, not necessarily shoved down my throat, for lack of a better phrase, but just an awareness, a very conscious awareness of what the world looked like and does that feel right to you? And if not, you know, what do you have to say about it or what would you like to do about it? So growing up with a very conscious mother, I think, was... um, really important and helpful and kind of made me the person I am today. Um, You also noted that I I studied theater for a very long time. So for a while, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it's always been a passion, but it wasn't on the to-do list, if you will, to to be a teacher and to make social justice a top priority. But once I kind of fell into teaching, which I, I literally did, you know, there's the cheesy phrase, like, sometimes you teach teaching and sometimes it chooses you. And I have to be <laughs> definitely, I fall in the latter category. I, you know, it just sort of fell into my lap and I'm very lucky that it did. But um, so when I started teaching here 11 years ago, part of the reason I, I chose Crossroads um, is because as a school, we really do care about character and um, kindness and, and all of the things that, you know, most schools do care about, but Often, depending on where you're at, there might be more of a, a, um, a focus on academics than, you know, the three R's, if you will, um, than anything else. And I feel like we, one of the things I love about where I teach is I think we put um, anti-bias curriculum and social justice curriculum just right aside math and science and language arts. Like, it's, it's you know, it's all equally important, and I really love that. So over the years, we've gotten to do some really fun stuff, and it's really picked up steam, I'd say, this last year or two, um, where we just started to kind of get uncomfortable, you know, let it get sticky and messy and hard and be okay in that space. And some, the best stuff is happening because of that, because of that willingness to let it get kind of, um, uncomfortable, not unsafe, but just uncomfortable. <laughs> wow. Very, very cool. So wh- when you, okay. So tell us a little bit about, you know, um, how you did this, how you approached it. So I'm thinking about myself, yeah. right? So yeah. I'm thinking about myself and I'm hearing what you're talking about. Is kind of this, that there's always been this, uh, emphasis on character. And I'm thinking about mm-hmm. my son's school system, right, that, that I've been working with very recently, but again, trying yeah. to be inspired by your work. And, and what, what they have is a social and emotional intelligence framework that mm-hmm. has al- that's always been a part of them that they care a lot about. They do a lot of programming around. And it seems like a really wonderful uh, a- opportunity to build a social justice lens or focus because the social and emotional intelligence, the stuff that's really about character is, you know, a natural, naturally lends itself to the additional yes. layer of conversation around social justice. Did, did you take that kind of approach? Like you, you built upon what was already there? Or did you say, you know what, we really want to start from scratch and think about our values and approach this in a way that is in response to some external stimulus? 
I would say we, we built upon what was already there. We Similar, I'm sure, to your school, we have what's called the courtesy code, and that's been in place for years. And it's really it's just six bullet points, but six, six things that we try not to forget while we walk through the space. And it's literally it's the simplest of courtesy. You know, it's making eye contact and saying good morning, holding the door for the person behind you, using their name whenever possible, really simple stuff. Um, but like you said, there's such a connection between being kind and thinking about who you are in your character and then if you can kind of lay the foundation in your own identity and kindness and then look outward and say, well, where, where is it that people aren't being kind? Um, you know, one of the things we did is we started out in our classroom, we started out the year by introducing the United Declaration or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, um, which was created by the UN and Eleanor Roosevelt some 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um, and we went really slow. We literally introduced like a one right a day or every other day. And, um, the kids, you know, as you know, having a first grader and all real small children, I would say, are, very aware of what's fair and what isn't, and almost obsessed with making things fair when, when they see that it isn't fair. So if one of the rights is the right to an education, well, they can say, well, you know, they can look inward at their own identity, see that they have a right to education because they're sitting here in a lovely school, and then we can look outward into the community and really the larger community that is the world and say, well, where is it that kids don't get to go to school? Or maybe where is it that boys get to go to school but girls don't? And is that fair? Is that just? And even throughout the year, we started to go deeper and look at fairness versus justice because there is a difference there. And we want the kids to know that, you know, yeah, there's going to be unfairness, but typically if something's unfair, it's not necessarily something we need to march in the street about. You know, if you got a strawberry popsicle and you really wanted pineapple, it, <laughs> you might find that to be unfair. Um, but, you know, eating and not eating, that's, that's where justice right. and injustice kind of come back into play. So, so we started with the, United, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We started to talk about the rights that all, every human on the planet gets to have. And then we looked down into the community and said, well, where is it that these rights don't exist? Is that fair? Is that just? Is it kind, the way people are treating each other? Because we connect to the kindness and the courtesy code. Um, and then we went from there. Um, especially with the help of the Jade community, the Justice Action Identity Diversity work, um, we were able to then do so many amazing projects this year. And like you said, too, in terms of having it overlap with other areas of the curriculum, I think social justice ties in, you know, weaves in beautifully and seamlessly with life skills and then also with service learning. And at our school, each grade is committed to service learning and fi- helping the community. So there's there's a way, like you said, using that lens to apply it to um, all three of those subjects, and now the work we're trying to do in the future is applying it to everything. And we applied it to math, for example, this year, which some people might say, like, how do you do you know, social justice math? Um, and we did it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's awesome. I'm, you know, the, the book that came in my head is The Price of Inequality by Joseph Stieglitz. You know, I'm thinking I, I took it to an economics conversation, but, you know, maybe that's <laughs> that's the wrong grade level right now, but I can I can even easily imagine a math conversation, it, you yeah. know, being connected oh, to social yeah. justice. Depending on the grade level, there's so many ways you could go. In our class for first grade, um, we took a uh, catalog. It happened to be a J. Crew catalog, and we noted uh. how many white models there were and how many models of color there were. And at this point, we had talked about race, and um, the kids were all familiar with what a person of color was. And, and even though it's still, there's, for some friends, it's still kind of a question mark because at this age, they're really looking at, 
the sort of the hue of a person and deciding right. if they're a person of color or not. And as we all know, you can be a very light-skinned person of color. You can have dark skin and be of European descent. Um, but we, we went through the catalog, and we tally-marked every white model, and then we tally-marked every person of color, and we saw that there's this huge discrepancy. I think that final total was like 53 white models to like three people of color. It was something really, really broad. And then we graphed it. And then we did, so from that, we were inspired to take other catalogs. We did about (laughs) seven or eight catalogs, broke up the kids into groups of two and three. They had to tally mark, they had to graph, they had to share their results. So they learned graphing through this, but they're also getting that social justice piece of like, hey, this doesn't feel right. So then naturally what happened there was they wrote letters to the companies and we wrote letters to J. Crew, Brooks Brothers, Madewell, uh, Cole Hawn, a bunch of different companies. And we've actually heard back from some of them too, which is great because then the kids get that experience of, you know, you can write. If you feel like something doesn't feel good, write a letter. Maybe you'll get something in return. Maybe you won't. Maybe it'll be a stepping stone to something else, or maybe it'll be a door slammed in your face, which is, a, you know, I'm obviously using a metaphor, but it's a, it's a good example to know or a good experience to know and what that feels like. You know, does that make you want to say, hey, I'm going to fight harder, I'm going to write a second letter, or I'm going to do a campaign, or does that make you say, oh, well, why bother? And I'll tell you, not one of the kids, when we don't hear back from a company, feels like just curling up and saying, what's the point? They're all just so, like, fired up to make change, and they want to write more letters, and they want to, you know, one of the letters we got back from um, was very much sort of the the polite standard response, you know, thank you so much, we're committed to diversity, goodbye. And um, But one of the sentences inside was, it said that, um, I don't know if I mean, am I allowed to name the companies. I guess I've already named a few companies. But um, it said that you know we're committed to diversity and we choose models that we think represent the J Crew lifestyle. And one of the kids was like, "Well, what's the J Crew lifestyle?" You know, and it's a really great question. And so we wrote back to ask, find out what the J Crew lifestyle is. You know, so these are these are just interesting little seeds. I feel like being planted in them that are going to make them all amazing activists one day. And they already are activists because they're already making choices and getting out into the community and asking questions, which is great. Oh my gosh, I'm about to burst. I'm so excited just listening to these (laughs) stories. Okay, I have to get us to a quick commercial break and then we're going to get back. I have a million questions. So let's switch gears for just a few minutes. And while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietajones.com and check out our latest blog post. Um, including something on this week's discussion. Also, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you at Dieta M. Jones or at Richard underscore Dent 95. We'll be right back. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. 
Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run, and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on introducing social justice in the school system with Taylor Parker from Crossroads Elementary School in Santa Monica, California. Taylor, oh my goodness, I I love hearing the ways that you've brought social justice to uh, the curriculum and to the conversation, to the fabric of uh, what Crossroads is about and the culture there. But tell us a little bit about how you did this. Tell me, give give our listeners some of the process tips. So it's not like just all of a sudden one day all the teachers woke up ready to go and all the parents got it and you just said, we're going to roll this out. How how did you actually lay the foundation for this program? Yeah, well, so I've been in first grade for a couple of years now, and um, when I first started, the curriculum was all about Native Americans, so we broke up the year into three segments and three different tribes to study, um, and this year it just felt like we had a new first grade team, most of us were new, and it just felt like we were ready for a change, and so one of the teachers threw out, because as a, as a faculty, we've had many faculty meetings and even retreats talking about race, social justice, um, equity, and one of the teachers said, why don't we keep two of the tribes and have the third semester, or trimester, if you will, be social justice, and um, so that's what we did, but like I said, we started with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights because we figured that could be sort of like a foundation to lay throughout the school year that we could refer to, especially, I mean, obviously anybody who has ever taken a class knows that the Native Americans and indigenous peoples have had many of their rights taken away or challenged at some point. So when we would tell stories about assimilation or diversity or lack thereof, we could refer to our declaration wall and look at a right and see, well, what right was taken away here or what right was challenged there? So it started with the Declaration of Human Rights as a way, to, as a reference point, basically, for Native American studies. Um, but what we found throughout the years that there's so much richness to the social justice curriculum, and many things along the way, honestly, totally improv. Like, you know, a kid would say something, and we'd say, let's look into that, and we'd do a little research, and before you know it, you know, there we were writing a poem about something or doing a self-portrait. Um, one of the things that... that um, Teaching Tolerance, which is a um, non-for-profit, I guess you, I guess yes. they, that's how yes. they'd be described, a group connected to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, they recommend 
uh, breaking down the social justice curriculum into four different domains, identity, diversity, justice, and action. And that's where our JAID, J-A-I-D committee at school comes from, using those four domains. But we switched around the letters, so it's spelled JAID because it just sounds nice. Um, but the JAID committee looks at those four domains. And the easiest way to start, I would say, for any teacher or even parent at home that wants to start to introduce their child is starting with identity. So the way we kind of see it is that identity comes first, you know, who am I? Then diversity comes next, you know, how do I relate to others in the world? And then justice, what do I see that needs to be changed? And action, how can I change it? So it really helped while we were doing the Native American studies, we, the two tribes we happened to study, if anybody's interested, is the Shumash and then the Kwakutl or the Kwakwakwakwa. And um, while we were doing those studying those tribes, we started to look at identity, and we described that to our first graders as a secret recipe that makes up who you are, and that recipe can change over the years, or it might stay the same. So the kids um, would actually make their recipe, like as they're learning to write, they're writing down what makes them who they are. And that's really interesting, too, because you'll notice that some kids um, really haven't thought about identity from an ethnic point of view, if you will. Um, so in their identity list, you have things like soccer player, brown hair, um, you know, two brothers. And then you'll have kids that will write Latina. And we've never really introduced this idea of, like, your identity is, or your ethnicity or, you know, the, the, any of that's important. But obviously it's important to them because either they talk about it at home or they've had experiences that um, have led to them feeling like it's important. So that that's a really cool way to start, too. But so we did identity, and then we let moved me, on to diversity, justice, and action. Let me ask you a quick question about that identity yeah. piece, especially around the ethnicity. It sounds... It, it is, I wonder, so, you know, I have a first grader and he, you know, for, he has, he's been, he's still describing people and just now starting to change the way he does this as kind of peach or, or yeah. you know, tan, right? That very, mm-hmm. very literal as far as the hues, but the ethnic piece, I feel, I feel like, is there a, is it about age where people start to um, really mature and think about themselves more from an ethnic identity point of view, or is it based on? Uh, population. So, you know, is it mm-hmm. that people of color talk more regularly in their homes about ethnicity and ethnic pride and ethnic heritage and more explicitly in order to kind of prepare their children for right. the environment within which they live? What do I you mean, think? Do you I would say yes, it's that. It's the latter. And from my experience, it feels like the children of color know their ethnic backgrounds, and the children who aren't of color are will literally in all my years they'll sit and ask me, you know, on the rug. We'll have we'll be talking about race. We'll, we'll read a read aloud that's connected to it, and they'll say, "Am I a person of color, or am I black?" Or they'll take out their arm and they'll put it next to mine after I've said that I'm black and say, "Am I black?" Because their skin is the same tone hue as me, mine. Right. Um, and so obviously in my opinion, like they're not talking about race at home. And I think, you know, we've talked as a a faculty and I've talked to other adults about this. I think there's the, that age old misconception, if you will, that, you know, if you introduce race to your children, particularly your white children, that that's all they'll see and they'll start to make judgments. But if you don't introduce it, then they won't see color as if that's a possibility and they'll grow up to treat everybody fairly. And I think, I, you know, I see where that came from post-civil rights movement. I, I see how at one point that seemed like the right thing to do. Um, but Tim Wise, who came to speak to our school, at our school, who I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, wrote Colorblind and a bunch of other amazing books, and he's a white advocate. Um, you know, he, he has the, every, the studies have been shown that, yes, you do see color. And the only thing that it does is it, it 
holds your child back, if you will, developmentally from being a part of the conversation because right. it's like there's a class that all the kids of color have taken and your kid hasn't taken the class yet. And that's Tim Wise. He uses that phrase, like, taking the class. And we'll use that now as faculty. You know, we'll say, well, I've taken the class, so I know a little more about, you know, X, Y, Z um, just by being who I am, my life experiences. You know, I'm heterosexual, for example. I haven't taken a lot of classes when it comes to homosexuality and gay rights and the LGBT community, right? I, there's just some things I just don't know because of my limited experiences. And the same thing goes for our kids. If we, if we hold back this idea of talking about race, and culture and nationality and ethnicity, then we're holding back their, um, essentially their brains. <laughs> we're right. literally holding them back developmentally from being a part of really important conversations. So I'm glad we're doing the work because there are so many kids here that, that don't get those opportunities at home. And because probably because it is a little um, uncomfortable, even at home in, in the comfort of your homes to introduce these things to kids. So, you well, know, we're well, and there's here. The- yeah, well, and there's, well, it makes sense, right? So I, there's also this, the chapter in Culture Shock that, you know, the parenting book, that very famous parenting book that talks explicitly about this topic as well. And they say that, you know, white parents don't talk as much with their children. It's just, you know, a hugely disproportionate amount. They don't talk yeah. as much to their children about race. And, and the tricky part about not talking about race is also it makes it a bit more mysterious than it needs to be. And when things are right. mysterious or, or not, not known, there's a, a higher probability that they seem intimidating or scary or off limits in some way. So it creates this mystique around a topic that could and should be a real healthy conversation. And oh, by the way, we need to practice having healthier conversations around it. Um, so it is really interesting to, to think about this. But I wonder what, what pushback you get from your parents. I mean, do you have parents saying, look, you guys got to stop introducing this topic of race at school because it, you're, it's putting a really awkward, you know, not in my parenting style. Now all of a sudden my kids are asking me questions or using language that I'm not comfortable dealing with at home. Do you, have you gotten any of that? Yes. Well, I should say I, I've heard that we had because I will say the parents we have, and I don't know if it's specific to my group this year or just in general, but we really don't, at least as my experience, I should say, I really haven't heard it directly from parents. I've heard from the administration that parents then go to the administration and, and vent their grievances. And, um, and it makes sense. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I actually really, <laughs> I appreciate the fact that they don't sort of come to the teachers and, and, spew any sort of negativity. <laughs> it might hinder my choices, and I might, I might sort of start to feel fearful and hold back a little bit. But they do, you know, and they go to the administration, and I'm so grateful that we have an administration that will hear it with open ears and an open heart, and, but still defend our positions as teachers that we, um, you know, we care about this stuff. We want to do right with the world and with these kids, and even though it might get uncomfortable or sticky, or we might even make um, choices as teachers to read a book that maybe the kids aren't ready for yet, or show a clip that, ooh, maybe maybe they just weren't developmentally ready for it. I mean, I try my best personally to to just imagine that every child is the most, you know, the most restricted, sensitive, uh, lack of media <laughs> receiving child. <laughs> and I think that's sort of safe. You know, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I'll give any, I can give you an example of, of how I think as a teacher, what helped me as a teacher um, this year, actually. One of the kids, we were talking about war and um, 
because it was in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. War came up, and and one of the kids said, "What's kids said? What's war?" And right there, I was kind of like, "Wow!" You know, even in first grade, there's some kids. There's some kids they've been playing war games and shoot 'em up games and you know video games since they were three, and they they think they know exactly what war is. But then you've got kids who don't even know the meaning of the word. So. Those are the kids I really should be teaching to. I should be making it as sort of soft and easy in first grade, explaining everything in the most first grade ways possible. But so in that story, one kid said, what's for? And another kid described it as he said, it's like dodgeball, but you die. And um, I thought that was pretty profound. And then a girl shot her hand up and said, yes, but in war, they take all the children and they put them in a safe place so they never get hurt. And that was sort of like a real aha moment for me where I was like, Boom. <laughs> yes. And I, I said yes to her. I said, you know, you're right, because that's what I'm teaching to. I'm teaching to this soft sensibility that is, you know, still believes in the boogeyman and the tooth fairy. And I really can't, you know, I, I'm not teaching high schoolers where I can, you know, decode the lyrics of Strange Fruit and say, what do you guys think? It, right, we have right, to right. really, really remember that these are babies. They're, they're emotionally speaking in terms of their experience. A lot of them, they're very, very young. And so, we haven't had in first grade too too much of upset parents because really we're just talking about fairness and being kind and the golden rule and stuff like that. As the kids get older and they're exposed to more history and facts, uh, things can get a lot messier. And like I said, from what I've heard with other teachers' experiences, the parents tend to go straight to the administration, and we're very lucky to have administration who's kind of, in my mind right now, I'm picturing them with like arms linked. They're, you know, they're protecting us from any parent who might right. be um, a little upset. But, you know, there's, the kids are still coming in every morning, so it can't be that bad. But so, yeah, it does get a little emotional, a little heated. Let me, let me ask you, what, what, um, what do you do at Crossroads to prepare teachers to be well, able to integrate some of these conversations and sensibilities into your regular curriculum other you know we we know that you you know anchor to the universal declaration of human rights but what do you do as far as teacher preparation and education well i'd say a big part of it is uh professional development so giving the teachers opportunities to go to workshops i just went to one at a sister school or a neighboring school i should say we're technically not sister schools but um wildwood and culver city and they are they're further down the path, if you will. You know, I joked with one of the leaders there that they're toddlers. You know, or I said, we're babies. And they said, well, we're still toddlers. You know, most independent schools here are just getting started in this work. Um, so we try our best to get out there. We are really lucky to have professional development. Not all schools get the opportunity to send their kid, their teachers out to learn, um, but that's a big part of it. Every year we have a faculty retreat where we actually close the school for a day. Uh, in the past, we've closed the school for two days to do conferences. We went to the People of Color Conference, the entire faculty, um, in Seattle a few years ago. So we literally sent, you know, 100 teachers to a conference and closed oh, school for that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a commitment here for sure, and it's, it's a financial commitment and it's a time commitment, and um, but I think it, it helps. I know for me, nothing, nothing, <laughs> my parents probably won't want to hear this because they might want to hear me say, like, math is the most important thing, but no part of the curriculum for me is more important than this part. You know, this is the thing that gets me fired up. These are the conversations I can't wait to have when I get here with other faculty members. I could talk about this for days, if you can't tell, <laughs> just go on and on and on. Um, this, to me, this is the important work because, I mean, 
I, and I'm not trying to take away from like math and science and reading and writing. All of these things are, of course, very important. But at the end of the day, kindness to me is all that matters and just being a good person, trying your best. And so, um, you know, it's why I teach at this level too, first grade. I, I just feel like the kids get it in a way, you know, that maybe some older kids even just don't get it. They get that like, you know, they think with their hearts and I, that's, yeah. I just love it. And, and doggone it, if you're going to change the world, it's one first grader at a time. I mean, that's it, right? right. You, you're, seriously, <laughs> yeah. the, the grown folks are who they are, but and, right. you know, there's so much opportunity to shape the worldview, to, to really instill and, and uh, you know, the, the values and language to, for manifesting those values in people who are so young and so impressionable and also helping them to help their parents have yeah, language and, par- and parent them in ways that really reflect not just social justice point, but but so, so the the issues that are important to us as we aspire as a as a community as a society. Um, so I, I applaud the work and at the level that you're doing it. First grade seems like the the most important place to be doing this work. Yeah, thank you. Oh my I gosh, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed. So let's do this. Let's take a let's take a shift and take another commercial break. And when we come back, what I want to ask you about is a recent experience that you've had and. Uh, Joy uh, Watt, who is one of your teachers there, uh, told me a little bit about the experience. I also had the opportunity to talk to Catherine Ramos a little bit about this experience where you did a social justice um, kind of exercise or role play activity for the entire school. And I I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that and how that went and what were some of the lessons learned. It it sounds like a really wonderful experience for other people to hear about. Okay? Yeah, that's great. Okay. So we're going to switch gears for a few minutes. And while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietajones.com. And on that website, I've put links to some resources like uh, Teaching Tolerance, uh, links so that you have access listeners to some of the resources that Crossroads and others who are involved in this social justice work in the educational community um, uh, have been using. Uh, so uh, hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones at Richard underscore Dent 95. We'll be right back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to share success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Hear about personal growth, building a better business, inspirational life stories, and personal branding. You'll find it every day at voiceamericaempowerment.com. 
the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on introducing social justice in the school system with Taylor Parker. And Taylor, you um, just recently, you, I mean, all of you at Crossroads Elementary out in California, just recently went through something that you called the DOT simulation, which was really a social justice simulation that you put, I think, all of your uh, students through. Can you tell us a little bit yeah. about that? What, what was it? And then and what did you learn? What did the kids learn? Uh, what, how, do you, how, have it, how has it evolved over time? Can you share a little bit about what that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So every week at our school, we throw this, each class's schedule out the window and we do what's called project week. So in the past, we've had water week where we just study all aspects of water and see where that takes us. We've had food week. We've had transportation week. Uh, this year, it was race week. And <laughs> that's, you know, just the title is like, Ugh. a lot of us sort of really dug our heels up until the last minute about the title and said, you know, can we call it social justice week? Uh, can we call it tolerance week? And we ended up, it was sort of like, depending on what class you're in, race slash social justice week. But the, the idea was to talk and introduce the social construct that is race to the kids, for those, especially those kids who had never heard of it. And so we kicked off the week with um, an adaptation of the Jane Elliott experiment or a simulation that she did with her third graders. I don't know if you remember this. She was on Oprah yep. in the 90s yes, doing yes. it, the blue-eyed, green-eyed thing. Yep. Yeah. So, blue-eyed, <laughs> so for people who, for listeners, it's the blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment where um, many years ago, I think it was in the 60s originally, that she broke up her students into different uh, classifications according to the color of their eye and then and then showed how segregation and, and um, preference played itself out. And then she repeated that. I think it was in the 90s on the Oprah Winfrey yeah. show. And, and it was the exact same outcome, which was amazing mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. So um, we did that. Instead of using eye color, we actually assigned the kids randomly um, dots, and so different colored dots. So ours was a four-tiered privilege system, essentially. The purple dots were the most privileged. So what, so, for examples of how they got privileged throughout the day, um, you know, they had longer recesses. When it came to snack time, we gave the kids snack, which you don't typically t- typically do, but we gave them two full sheets of graham crackers. We, um, whereas the other kids got either one full sheet, a half a sheet, or a quarter of a sheet, depending on what color dot they are. So, the purple um, dots, there were only two in each class. And they got the most privileges. The blue dots, there were four in each class. They were the second most privileged group. So they still felt what privilege was, but they also had some rights taken away, which so they felt what that was like, too. The green dots, there are, I think, about eight of those kids. And they're the third tier. And then the fourth tier, the absolute, you know, the kids who felt the least amount of privilege were the red dots. Now, school continued, you know, as Per usual, they still all went to PE together. They all went to recess. They all went to snack. Um, they all sat down and did poetry at the same time. But there are little things like whether or not you got a sharpened pencil or an unsharpened pencil that we incorporated each class into the day to make sure that kids felt different from one another. 
and we noticed right away uh, some really interesting things. We noticed right away that the purple dot kids in our class, and what's funny is there were different experiences in different class. Some purple dot kids were like sitting back in the lap of luxury. They loved it. They voted at the end of the day. They'd want to do it again. But in my particular class, I'm very proud of my purple dot kids. They immediately felt um, not good with this whole tiered privilege system. I mean, one of my kids, who was a purple dot kid who had two full sheets of graham cracker, immediately broke up his graham crackers and started passing them out to red dot kids. Um, one, my, my other little girl who had a purple dot, um, at one point said, I feel like a bad person. And so we talked about that because she was feeling guilt. Um, but the interesting thing, no matter what class you were in, by the time lunch rolled around, so they eat lunch, you know, around noon, by the time lunch rolled around, every single class had protesting. Every single class had kids making signs, uh, banners, marching, singing. They were, you know, mad as you know what, and they weren't going to take it anymore. And we had kids who... You know, it was usually inspired by the kids who had the least amount of privileges, but we had kids who had more privileges that would stand with those kids. And they actually use that language. You know, I stand with them, even though I'm a green dot or I'm a blue dot. And, um, it was great. It was exactly, you know, it's, it's, it was the ideal is what we wanted to see. If you YouTube the Jane Elliott videos of the, these, you know, 60s, 70s third yep. graders from Iowa, it gets dark really fast. And it's really sad and scary to see how they turn on each other. In my class, we didn't see that. We just, the, the, the most sort of disappointing thing we saw were a few of the kids who had more privileges being like, it was fine. I don't really see a problem. You know, sort of having that unawareness. And that unawareness is something we can we use as teachers and know that we can teach in terms of awareness. But, um, yeah, that's how we kicked off the race week across the board, kindergarten through fifth grade. They all were broken up into groups of privilege or lack thereof. So and, let me ask yeah. you, do you think, do you think that there, so by the way, for people, yeah. for listeners, there are, there's another exercise called star power, S T A R power, P O W E R. That is a very similar prepackaged exercise that I've been using for many years that if you're, if you're interested in doing something that's not necessarily for, you know, uh, uh, this, uh, this level of education, because the dot, the dot simulation seems like it works beautifully given the, the, the age of kids. But for adults or in an educated, you know, in an environment where you're working with adults and you want to drive home some of the same kinds of experiences or conversations, Star Power is a wonderful simulation for doing it. But let me ask you, Taylor, do you think that your students protested and were so interested in kind of righting the wrongs associated with this exercise because of all the other work that you had done? before this or around this? Do you think it's just part of their, they're just more aware and more sensitive to justice and injustices because you've done so much work over the years? Yes, I do think across the board, K through five, not just in our class, that we've had, we've sort of planted the seeds, if you will, and so they had the tools to react versus just, you know, breaking down or turning on each other. Um, And that's not to say, like I said, I'm only speaking of my, my, we have two classes, two grades, classes in each grade, and my uh, class had an overwhelmingly positive experience. In others, I heard it was a little um, more emotional. There were kids getting picked up by their parents that just immediately, once they saw their parents, were breaking down into tears because it was an intense day. Um, I know in our class we ended with a council to share our feelings, and which we do a lot of council at our school. I'm sure many schools like ours, um, and it never got sort of emotional and or dark at all. But in other classes 
especially as the kids get older, it probably did. But for us, it was remarkably light considering the circumstances. And I do think, yes, that the, the seeds we planted gave them, like I said, the tools to react. They, they immediately, I mean, it, one kid right off the bat when he looked at his dots and saw that there were, when we put, you know, on the, the Elmo, which is our projection system, we put on the Elmo the rules for all the different colored dots. He immediately said, oh, this is kind of like how people were treated in Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. Like, <laughs> not happening anymore. Like, I got this, this yeah. But, you know, he immediately made the connection. Um, we also did specifically a few very specific um, read-alouds, one called Whitewater, um, by Michael Brandy, I think is his name, Michael Bandy, and then also the Sneetches, the Dr. Seuss book, because, I mean, that's totally about dividing people based on what they look like and giving them more privileges and less privileges. And the, and it, what's great about the Sneetches is that it gets so goofy and silly that you see that it really is um, just a ridiculous lie that we tell ourselves that there is a difference. So, um, so, so the kids immediately, you know, they can reference, oh, this is like Whitewater, this is like the Sneetches. So, yeah, we definitely, we deliberately... Um, set them up, I think, for success as much as we can. But it's still, nice. we still had, we still had tears, you know, they're still first graders. So we did have, especially when those graham crackers came out, there's something about food and privilege that really yeah. makes them emotional. That whole, that's not fair business. Some kids yeah. are really upset about the quarter graham cracker. And then, uh, and then what's, <laughs> what, what kind of stuff do you do to follow up on that? Like, what do you do? Do you, do you, tend, do you uh, prepare the parents to be able to have conversations at home or you do think about the next day, how you continue to do debriefs or build upon that experience. Like what do you, what do you do with something like that? It's a, it's a really amazing because those, those simulations, those, that experiential learning, I mean, it, talk about your head and your heart and your gut all yeah. at the same time being highly engaged. Those are going to be profound learning experiences, but you have to build on them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we definitely, communication with the parents is super important because um, they need to know what's what's coming home, <laughs> you know, all of the, the baggage from the experience of the day. So always, you know, a big, nice, comfy, cozy email going out about what we've noticed and what's going on. Um, like I said, we end with counsel throughout the rest of the week, that week for race week or social justice week and beyond. We continue to check in and relate to those experiences. Um, and, yeah, I think what's interesting about what we did, and we we did it uh, six or seven years ago, and some of the kids that come back that are now, you know, 11th, 12th grade, that that day is like their most memorable day in all of elementary school because for better or worse, it had power behind it and it had passion and, you know, it it's something that they could take away. And for a lot of our kids, you know, if people don't, know much about our school. It's an independent private school, west side of LA. Um, many of our families are very comfortable. And um, for some of the kids that we teach, they will never, or maybe maybe not ever for a very long time, ever know what it feels like to be the odd man out or the underdog or on the outside looking in. They just don't, they don't know what it feels like to not feel represented. And it really is a gift, in my opinion, um, that you're giving these kids who will never in their natural environment feel that way, to, to, to step into those shoes, to be able to feel that empathy as they get older with somebody who lives that every day or gets that a lot more often, that's an immeasurable gift, in, in my opinion. Of course, it's, it's my opinion, and obviously we all know where I stand when it comes to this stuff, but for some parents it felt like the opposite, right? For some parents it felt like you... Um, I don't want to use the word tortured, but one one parent, for example, apparently did say something to the effect of, you know, how dare you experiment with my child, that, that we were sort of playing, you know, puppet master and trying to make kids feel bad or something. And that's not 
at all, I think, my takeaway. My takeaway is, you know, that it is a gift to be able to experience, especially, and we're all, you know, Joni, our director, used the phrase later on in the week. She said, you know, we're all purples. You know, we're, we are all so privileged. We are all so lucky. And we talk about that in class, just the the basic human rights that we all have, you know, no matter where we lay our heads at night, we are just all so lucky and so privileged. And so to be able to feel that, um, just even for a day, and it's a long day and it's a hard day for some of those kids, but just to feel that for a day, that's going to stick with them throughout years to come and it's going to shape who they are as people and as activists. Well, and I have to say, I, you know, I, I, can, I can empathize with the fact that some parents would say, wait, 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 you made my kid feel uncomfortable. And a lot of parents really want their kids to be coddled and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. sheltered and all of that. On the other hand, isn't that what, you know, we do in sports, for example? You know, you practice winning and you have to practice losing, too. I mean, what yeah. we're trying to do is prepare children to be adults and to be able to navigate difficult relationships, to be able to navigate uh, social cues that might be unfamiliar, to be able to be citizens of the world, hopefully, and be able to compete in a global level which means that you're going to have to at some point be in, an, in a situation where you are different or where you are making yourself slightly uncomfortable for a period of time or where you need to shift your frame of reference to understand what's going on with the other person or the other you know, group. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it may be, it, it, I think, again, what I think parents' uh, feelings are probably about their own insecurities or their own wants and desire to shelter or to make their children always feel happy and secure and loved, but really preparing people for, you know, what it means to, to live a fulsome life. It means that there's, sometimes they're going to have to have exposure to, you know, what other people's yeah. experiences are and language for it. That's the other thing mm-hmm. that's really wonderful is that they don't have to bump into another cultural reality um, because they've had a really harsh encounter where they're applying for, you know, a job or they're going into a neighborhood that's unusual or they're going to have dinner at a family's house that they it's very unusual or whatever it is. They're not stumbling the very first time through. They're trying to live and have an, a cultural, a cross-cultural interaction for the first time, real time, that they're having a, an experience in a safe and facilitated environment where they're able to think about what is the feeling associated with it? What are the words that I can use to help me describe the feelings, to help me navigate this experience? It just sounds like a, a really productive and constructive way to enrich a child's experience. But it does. It takes gumption. When Joy told me that you that you all were doing this, I thought, oof, that, I had to really sleep on it. It takes gumption mm-hmm. to be able to say, this is important to us, and we think it's yeah. important for your kids, and this is what we value and so here's what we're going to do, and here's what we need from you on the other end of it. That that takes some real gumption. I'm really, I really applaud the work that you've done. Um, it, yeah. it it's it's really a testament for the rest of us about the way that we can anchor to aspirations and shared values, and then create create meaningful experiences that are going to have lasting impact on people's lives and relationships. Yeah. Thank you. Well, yeah. the last thing I feel like I have to mention, too, that I think was really effective in case anybody might want to try this at their school, um, and this was a, a piece of advice given to us by Eileen, one of our administrators, and she suggested, and it, I will say that it came back um, from parents, you know, because the kids went home and said it, but she suggested that we apologize at the end of the day, and we did. Both you know, my co-teacher and I, Eva, we took our own you know, time. We didn't apologize as a group. We each individually sat there after a council and said, you know, we're sorry that if you felt uncomfortable and 
we hope that you understand why we thought it was really important to do this experience. We don't want you to feel bad. We don't want you to feel sad. We are very sorry if you felt that way today. And we hope that if you can imagine what it was like, what it's like to be a teacher, that you could understand why we'd want to do this experience, have, give you this experience. And then we asked the kids the following day, we checked in, we said, if you were a teacher or in the future, say in five years we think about doing this again as a teacher, do you think we should do it? And across the board they all said yes. Part of it for some of them might have been like, yes, if I had to go through it, somebody else does too. But I think for most of them, they already felt the value of it because we had debriefed and counseled and they had shared and connected. It's also a bonding experience for them. Like they've all gone through something that was challenging for them together. And it's, you know, it's interesting when you think about how for some people this is their every day. And for these kids, this was just a day, but it still had a really powerful impact because of, um, in relativity where they are in the world and in their lives. So we're, I'm, you know, no regrets at all in terms of doing it, but I think that apology piece was really important. I'm so glad it was suggested to us. I love it. Taylor, thank you so much. Thank you for this entire uh, show that all of your stories and experiences are so rich, so deep. Folks, listeners, if you want more information, please check out my blog. Uh, I put, I put uh, links uh, there that will uh, point you in the direction of some of the resources that Crossroads and other schools that are really active in social justice, education, and awareness um, are doing and are pulling from. Taylor, we are at the end of our episode. It just zipped by so quickly that I hate to, mm-hmm. to do this, but um, I want to thank you for joining us today. Listeners, I want to thank you for joining us today. We've loved every minute of it, and we hope you have too, and we hope that you join us next week. Until then, keep finding ways to make a dent in pursuit of your dreams, to serve your community, to make our world better. Thanks again for tuning in. Please join Dietta Jones and Richard Dent for another edition of DJ and the Bear. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.